This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jay Roberts. I'm the Chief Financial and Administrative Officer of Advantage Healthcare Solutions, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 317. Twenty twenty five, so I think your CFO wakes up in their hyperbaric sleeping chamber, the liquid protein <laughs> fuel tube is delivered, and the morning's data is beamed into an embedded receiver. Um, you know, it's actually it's not, not too far from where we are now. Maybe not the hyperbaric chamber. Uh, but but that stream of data, that's kinda what what we do, right? What will change is all that business data that right now we primarily consume on a desktop or a laptop, it's increasingly being being served up in a more consumable format so we can we can absorb it on a phone. And so I think that the CFO of 2025, they'll wake up and they'll instantly engage with that business data. And, and so they'll drive the agenda for the day, the cadence of the day in reaction to the data. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we look to the future with CFO Steve Love of Dialpad and performance management guru Brett Knowles. First, Steve reveals for us why he believes growing access to data and new tools empowering finance to better analyze data is signaling a future direction for all of finance. Next, Brett Knowles provides a future-looking tour to Forrest as he shares his vision of the evolving finance function. Steve and Brett's comments were originally captured on a live webinar, which you can now view on demand on CFOThoughtLeader.com. But as always, we didn't want to deprive our listening audience of such a spirited discussion. It begins after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. time we touched on this, but I thought it was a good place for us to start, and and that is asking you to take a look at the finance function, your finance function, and what parts of the function do you view as being particularly ripe for automation? 
Yeah, you know, we've been so lucky in finance over the last couple of decades with uh, big systems being rolled out uh, that help you automate the heavy lifting piece. Uh, and then even even more recently, there's been extensions and functionality and scope on on the more process-oriented stuff. You know, don't sleep on the new technology approaches to some of those things like invoice approval routing, teeny expense, and particularly for the small and mid-sized companies. So while that's still interesting, I think the most uh, the area most ripe for automation is data insights, you know, pr- and, and presentation of those insights. So all organizations today are just awash in data. You know, the opportunity uh, with this automation is systematic and efficient gathering, cleaning, reporting of accurate, that's important, and timely also important, uh, information to drive the insights and decisions. Uh, while, while uh, you know, the gathering and the cleaning part, there's been improvements there. The biggest part for the, that can still improve is the opportunity for the presentation of the insights. You know, it's, it's so many of us uh, historically have used, have used Excel, and, you know, there's limit. While I, I love that program, there's, there's limitations for it, uh, of using it. In terms of the sharing, let me tell you something we've done recently at, here at Dialpad. So we, like many companies, we have an operating platform that contains a ton of data from our products that are relevant to operating metrics, including the number of customers, price, usage, growth, churn, and other metrics. It is typical in small or mid-sized, high-growth companies, in particular, like our company, we're doubling year over year in revenue. The vast data was only queried when there was a really urgent question or a problem of some kind. So this is uh, in contrast to a systematic approach of pulling the data consistently into, a, into an easily queried format, driving consistent reporting, then understanding those trends and drivers and consistency is such a big piece of that. So this isn't easy, and we all know it's not like finance people are just loping around. You know, this, t- this takes time, and rarely do finance teams have excess time on their hands. So we took two important steps. One, number one, we hired a, uh, a dedicated financial analyst to be our engine on data and reporting. And number two, we used a tool, and there's lots out there for, in our case, data visualization. We already had Domo, a tool that we had already licensed uh, and used by uh, a couple different departments in the company. So we thought, great, we've got a tool. People log in. They know it. So we trained up on that product, and we use that as our corporate reporting tool. Now, we in finance produce a number of key metrics, and not just revenue, but a lot of stuff like the metrics I mentioned, customer growth, churn, revenue, all this great stuff that aren't strictly associated with finance. And we uh, distribute those across the business. They're available on an app, you know, be it on your computer, whatever device you're using. And also we use a subset of those to drive our, our executive weekly operating uh, cadence. Each, each day, each week, we spend, spend the first hour of a two-hour meeting reviewing the same metrics. And it's that consistency well, with accurate and timely data that help us drive the business. So I think making the process to share those insights and then driving the discussions and decisions in an efficient and effective manner for all companies, that's, that's the next great opportunity. And not having to have dedicated people who are your, you know, your, you know, your application folks. Making the tools easy to use. That, I think, is a, is a great opportunity, uh, the next, next great frontier uh, in automation for finance. Can I ask, just in response to that, you, you hit on quite a bit, uh, but I'm wondering, you as a leader, as a finance leader, where are you going to be spending your time? What's going to change for you? Yeah, absolutely. It's less about processing and more on analysis and data gathering and cleansing, right? Relatively low-value stuff these days and more time on analysis, insight, communication, and all that helps you drive company strategy. So uh, when we think about where we want to, I think about priorities, I think where I want to invest, 
And for that, it's an automation to reduce the time we spend on the manual tasks, in this case, you know, uh, gathering the data and cleaning it, making sure it's right. Uh, and this will enable us to spend more time on the analysis and the insights. You know, and this is, a, I think, a continuation of the trend we've seen in the last two decades. When, when if you go back then, when I started my career, the CFO was seen as engaged in the business, but now most people in finance are helping drive the business in different ways, you know, be it analysis or helping with customer negotiations, giving information to the business that they previously didn't have. Let, let me ask about the people uh, within the organization and on the part of the finance team. Do you believe the skills uh, that they have and their aptitudes, uh, those aptitudes that once helped companies identify, uh, you know, who's well-suited for a finance career track, are they changing? Are they likely to change? You know, they absolutely. You know, I think back when I was in school in the you know late '80s, early '90s, the education curriculum has just changed. My my niece uh, followed the grand family tradition of for uh, getting a CPA. Her curriculum is so different, and also the workplace is different. There's a couple key attributes that we look for in hires, uh, and and that's being you know demonstrating being inquisitive, engaged uh, uh, engaged with people. Uh, and, and data and then great analytical skills. So you got to be, you know, being inquisitive drives people to look for areas of automation rather than, than just accept the current state of manual processes. You know, other companies, you know, engage, reaching out and understanding what companies are doing, you know, events like this, knowing people, you know, looking online, you know, is always a source for ideas. For, uh, and the technology sector is consistently generating new tools. So inquisitive people are likely to be those lifelong learners that drive continued automation in their environments. You know, being engaged drives people to get involved in the business they support and to look at like a big untapped pile <laughs> of digital data as a, a source of potential insights rather than something they steer away from. You know, uh, being engaged in the business, you look for that and see what you can do with it. And lastly, uh, the finance, the big things we look for these days is finance team members, regardless of the position, need to have the skills to engage with and analyze data which is increasingly going beyond deep Excel skills to engaging with programs uh, associated typically with programmers. Here's a, a great recent example. So I mentioned earlier that uh, part of the way we approached uh, making sure we understood our data and, and, and presented the data and helped drive decisions across the business. Uh, well, we hired, well, first thing we did was we hired a, a senior financial analyst. Guy's great, started earlier this year. And he had all those skills we, we looked for. Uh, then he did something that was really fantastic. Shortly into his term here, he was working with a dedicated data analyst in our product group who worked with, worked with, the, worked with the platform, actually pulled stuff out of the platform. But he, he always had, our analyst always had to wait for this individual uh, to, to present the data. So what he did was start to learn the basics, or he learned the basics of SQL programming language. He went online. It's a great resource, many of them. He went to the Code Academy online so that he could extract the data from our production system. So the guy actually, so inquisitive, so engaged with the business and the data, uh, he actually decided to broaden his skills, went online, learned, and now he pulls data directly out of the production system using a program language. He may not be an expert, but he knows enough to get the data that he needs and not be relying upon someone in another group. You know, that is just, just fantastic. And I think that's a currently a little bit of a, of uh, an extreme example, but I think increasingly, especially for, for data analysts, but other people too, they'll start to do the same kinds of things. So, you know, it's 
the curriculum, you know, for kids coming through college these days, that's changed. What we're looking for people to do has changed. And now you see how the work environment's changing as well. And so what I also think of as a leader, not only do we need to bring these people aboard looking for maybe some different skills, but now we have to have, a, a, I think, an increased emphasis on ongoing education and development so the folks we hire with these great skills continue to develop them in response to the changing environment. I, I had this question in mind for you when I wrote it, uh, Steve, and it, it's sort of an unfair question. We all look into the future, and, uh, you know, we don't have to be uh, told whether the reality uh, comes to be or not. But if we were to look forward to 20 to 25, 2025, I, I thought it would be interesting to hear what you anticipate a CFO's role will be and what, uh, on an average day, a CFO is likely to be doing spending their time. What would you what would you speculate with us? So twenty twenty five, so I think your CFO wakes up in their hyperbaric sleeping chamber, the liquid protein <laughs> fuel tube is delivered, and the morning's data is beamed into an embedded receiver. Um, you know, it's actually it's not, not too far from where we are now. Maybe not the hyperbaric chamber. That's a little extreme. And uh, again, a liquid fuel tube doesn't sound as good because breakfast is an, an important meal of the day. Uh, but but that stream of data, that's kind of what, what we do, right? I don't think I'm unique uh, in that I have my alarm on my phone, and then as I pick up my phone to turn off my alarm, I instantly dive into the news of the day and maybe look at some social stuff. And so I think what will change is all that business data that right now we primarily consume on a desktop or a laptop, it's increasingly being being served up in a more consumable format so we can we can absorb it on a phone. Because some of the stuff's, you know, dense stuff. So it takes work as, you know, uh, I think the famous quote from Abraham Lincoln, right? He prepares much much more for a very short speech than a long speech. So preparing things and making them easily consumable takes a lot of time, but we'll get there. And so I think that the CFO of 2025, they'll wake up and they'll instantly engage with that business data. You know, the lines of work and non-work have already blurred, and this is a natural evolution. So, you know, the environment will be about ingesting the current data, understanding the trends, importantly deviations from the trends that require attention, areas for potential improvement, you know, optimizing the business in both large and then increasingly small steps. You know, so you'll, you know, you'll wake up already, you know, consume these things right away. By the time you, you know, hit the, hit the office, you know, in, uh, you know, in, uh, in whatever time you get there, you'll already have driven a lot of questions. You'll be, in, you'll be immersed in thinking about your business. And, and so they'll drive the agenda for the day, the cadence of the day, in reaction to the data. And then, then increasingly, I think, you'll start to share this information with key customers and key vendors, which will be, a, I think, a change. Only very big companies do that. But sharing that data will, you know, eventually breach, go beyond the walls of this current corporation and drive some of the interactions that you have, you know, with your key customers and suppliers. If there was one word that characterizes the future of finance within organizations, what would that word be? According to Brett Knowles of Performance Management and Measurement, that word is relationships. Find out why after these words from our sponsor.
You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Before taking any additional time, we're going to jump uh, to Brett Knowles, who now joins us. Um, and Brett, welcome. Great to have you with us. And I know looking into the future is something you, uh, you certainly enjoy as well. So having had you on the podcast, but welcome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, the, the issue of looking into the future is kind of a scary thing because no one can really accurately predict what the future is. But, you know, there's some interesting things which are emerging that, uh, you know, I think we should all pay attention to. You know, gosh, I can remember when I started uh, with Ernst & Winnie back in 1982, our audits were still doing things like checking for, you know, one-sided transactions on the T account. Well, I don't even know if accountants these days know what a T account is. And certainly with the technology we use, the possibility of doing a one-sided transaction just doesn't exist. So you know, things are changing, and if we try to take a look in the future, it's pretty hard to predict. But you know, we already have seen the impacts of RPA, and that's actually already old stuff. Think about what happens when, uh, you know, Watson, IBM's, uh, you know, learning computer begins to put their brain against some of these questions. Uh, You know, think of something as complex as, I don't know, free cash flow. We know that we do a pretty lousy job of uh, getting that right. But, you know, what if a thinking computer put its brain to it. Right? Let's take an example. Let's say, I don't know, you're a manufacturing company and you buy uh, inventory from Asia. And maybe, you know, that plant shuts down for, for some reason. Well, you know, the computer should be able to say, well, given that plant shut down, what alternatives do we have? What other contracts do we have? What are the economic order quantities? Uh, you know, if we buy from them, uh, you know, what are the terms? How long does it take to ship? How much inventory? And, you know, but that's same old, same old. You know, your current computers can do this. But what if Watson then said, well, why did that plant shut down? Oh, that's interesting. There's a typhoon coming through. So then it, it's smart enough. No one's told it to do this. It goes over and looks at the weather channel and, and figures out where that typhoon's path is. And from that, looks at the existing contracts and think of what other org plants might also get shut down from that typhoon. And then uses its brain to say, okay, well, what, what are the other options that we have available to go do this? And once it's figured out where the plants are we should be ordering from, then it takes a look at the FX rates and tries to figure out uh, what the rates are going to be, when the government announcements are, and so on, and begins to make decisions not only about inventory, but about free cash flow, about exchange rates, about timing, about inventory levels, about all sorts of things that you know and I know we should be paying attention to. But the equation gets so complicated, you just you don't have the time to go do it. Now, the interesting thing is, Watson will do that before you finish putting the cream in your coffee. So it's so fast and able to do this and figure out the logic ahead of being programmed that all of a sudden, our job as CFOs are going to be completely different. You know, that the 
uh, you know, current theory is that about 75% of the work that you currently do as a CFO is going to be automated. So many of the things that Steve was talking about, you know, this whole idea of near real-time analytics is actually with us already. And that stuff now is just going to be simply automated and, you know, be delivered to you along with the newspaper every morning. But let's talk about that other 25%. The idea is that no one job is going to be completely eliminated, but huge portions of every single job in our finance area is going to be uh, removed, and therefore we're going to be building new finance jobs, you know, things that don't already exist today. And like Steve described, you know, one of the, the biggest changes for us is we'll have way more time to do the analytic work that we just we can't get around to right now, but truly drives value in the organization. So thing number one, job transformation. Uh, thing number two, and, and these aren't in any particular priority sequence, relationships are going to be key. Your job as a CFO is going to be less about harvesting the data and, frankly, less about analyzing it and more about the relationships that you have with the leadership team, outside stakeholders, customers, and so on. I mean, what we know is knowledge is created socially, and that's the stuff that computers can't do for us, that Watson cannot do for us. Watson cannot establish those relationships. And it's in those conversations that the unpredictable outcomes come that drive organizations forward. So relationships are key. And so your earlier question about what does the CFO's life look like in 2025, it's all about relationships, right? It's going to be uh, your job to be spending 80% of your time talking to uh, those other stakeholders, I think thing number three is with this um, advent of analytics being served to you, that everyone can begin to operate as a CEO. The CEO will no longer have privileged information that the rest of us don't have. All of us will have it. And so it's like having this marvelous supercomputer. I no longer have, you know, one brain or or the leadership team of, of 14 people. I have a... Uh, a team of, you know, 500 people, every single employee is being mindful. So what that means is analytics is everyone's everyday job. Everyone's going to be taking a look at it, and with their unique brains and perspectives and skill sets, going to be able to identify and see things that we don't and be able to whisper in the CEO's ear on those observations. And those organizations that can do that faster will obviously survive better. I think thing four in terms of how our lives change is that uh, innovation, ideas, will no longer be man-made. And what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, right now we think about, uh, you know, Elon Musk's and the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs who come up with these, these brilliant ideas. Well, you know, what if when we move forward, those ideas come from uh, sources other than individuals, that they are automated, and computers are giving us ideas about what we can do next? Now, that's a bit scary, uh, but we're the ones that will be directing that machine learning. So as we decide areas that, that need analytics or need a creative solution, we can direct the Watsons of this world to go solve it. And so 
all of a sudden we can be putting incremental horsepower behind problems that have seemed to be insurmountable in the, the past. Now, it's true if we combine my last point about uh, ideas are no longer man-made, that they can be automated, and we're directing the machines in the right direction, we can get directed creativity around how we uh, have those analytics occur and what we should be looking at. I think the sixth thing that we're seeing is that speed now is the new norm. So when I think back to when it is that we, I first started in accounting, we used to lay down five-year plans for organizations. I, I can't even imagine doing a five-year plan now. The uncertainty five years out is so huge. In fact, I think the uncertainty that we currently have around our one-year plans is equivalent to what we used to have about our five-year plans. In other words, our one-year plan equals the old five-year plan. So what equals the old one-year plan? Well, that's your one-quarter plan. You know, we should be driving, even today in 2017, uh, a new strategic set of priorities every quarter. Because if we wait a whole year, the market's going to leave us in their dust. Well, that's where we are now. What's that going to look like in the future? You know, how agile do organizations need to be as we discover new market gaps or opportunities? That idea of speed becomes the new norm. And so as organizations begin using uh, Watson's of this world to think through problems, they're going to be solving them faster than other organizations can even identify them. So it becomes uh, speed is even a greater imperative in the future. Uh, finally, I think, though, that the fundamentals of business will remain the same. We're still profit-driven organizations, and our goal is to make sure that our organizations are outperforming the competition, taking advantage of new market opportunities, and moving faster towards those goals. So as much as some of this uh, robotics learning uh, and Watson's seems to be a scary prospect, there is no putting the genie back in the bottle. Uh, because we're searching continually for uh, profitability and these machines can think faster and make less mistakes than we make, the drive towards them is inevitable. So the business imperatives of achieving financial success will continue, and therefore this drive towards robotics learning uh, is unstoppable. But it's all going to be in aid of that continued goal of profitability. Now, those things might change. So if we think of the, the new emerging topics around sustainability, what that means is that, you know, someone explained it to me uh, brilliantly the other day. That, you know, if you think of what we call the triple bottom line, you know, the, uh, the organization should be uh, looking at their uh, corporate, you know, economic capabilities, but also their impacts on society and the impacts on the environment. And, you know, we've seen that as sort of a Venn diagram, three overlapping circles. Well, think of them as actually three bank accounts. And so if you're running an organization and you're, you're taking resources from the environment, I'm cutting down trees or taking minerals out of the earth, I'm actually making a withdrawal from the bank account called environment and recognizing the financial 
uh, impact of that in the corporate one. Or if I'm using, you know, child labor, I'm taking money out of the society account, and I'm recognizing that as value in the corporate account. But I haven't actually changed anything. I've just, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors moved it from one bank account to another. So those three different circles represent three bank accounts which are available. And their business as usual has been only looking at the financial impacts. And I think that we are now looking and recognizing the need to take into account our impacts on society and our impacts on the environment. And our stakeholders demand it, right? Issues like Nike with child labor, those weren't companies owned by Nike. They were subcontractors, but they were affiliated with Nike, and therefore Nike had a reputational issue that it had to manage its way forward. So I think all organizations now need to be worried about that triple bottom line or their impact across those three. And those equations are immensely optimizable when we throw tools at it like Watson. So I believe, although it's business as usual, business as usual has, and accounting in particular, has not fairly represented what organizational success looks like. And I think that is the big trend where uh, smart computers are going to take us and show us how to optimize against those three competing goals. Brett and Steve, we have just a, a few questions in the queue for you. A question for you, Brett. Uh, what other parts of the organization, in addition to finance, do you see emerging to play a larger role in driving performance? Well, that's uh, you know kind of a trick question. Um, you know, the question is, does finance continue to exist in the super long term as an independent function? Uh, even in that free cash flow example I gave you, uh, that uh, same story could be told whether I was uh, worried about uh, inventory, about running the production plant and operations, or whether I was in human resources and staffing things. So the, the boundaries between different departments begins to get really fuzzy because what automation allows us to do is to take a look at the true value stream that goes across what we used to call those departmental boundaries. So this robotic learning is going to impact uh, every function in the organization and every job. And the statistics that Mike showed us are going to be universal, whether I'm in accounting or human resources or in operations. Uh, and so, uh, again, part of the trick here is how do we move organizations past what we've designed around humans running those transactions and our limited scope of time and capability and look at a new way for work to be done in the future. Someone once told us that if you wanted to see the future better, you're better off looking at what science fiction writers are writing than listening to people like me and other futurists. The science fiction writers seem to have a better view of it. And if you take a look at what our friend Captain Kirk back in the original Star Trek used to have in terms of technology, it's all stuff that we now ourselves have day to day that we, we use to make our lives more productive. Unfortunately, if we take a look at all those science fiction writers, we don't see accountants anywhere in those stories. So maybe all of these functions go away, and they can all be handled by tools, and that allows us to spend other times in our organizations. So, you know, the answer is I think it impacts the whole organization the same way. Okay. Steve, someone asks, what do you tell people 
young people, I suppose, today just beginning a finance career as far as what experience they should be seeking out and skills they should be developing in light of some of the changes that we see coming? Uh, you bet. Yeah, uh, uh, three things. The, fir the first is uh, the best career advice I ever received was from a mentor. I had done seven years at Ernst & Young. I was uh, three years into being a controller of a public company. We're talking about where I progressed and how to become a CFO. And this guy's great advice was there's three, three tracks. There's controllership, there's planning analysis, and there's operations. Due time in two, preferably all three. It was great advice. You become a, a well-rounded individual, professional, and eventually executive. So great advice. So I stick with the same. Do two, if not all three. And I did two years in sales oper sales operations. It gives you a really good feel for how how the you know how difficult it is to close deals and respect for for that part of uh, of the of the organization. Uh, number two, build your data skills so you can navigate information and then exercise your your analysis skills. And number three, in order to drive insights, push into your business and understand and engage in the operations. Uh, people outside finance they love this when the finance person comes asking questions especially within a teaming way that you want to understand, they love it, and they, and they embrace it, and they help you understand the business. Plus, understanding the business is really interesting and a lot more fun than, you know, staying in your finance area. Steve, I'm wondering, uh, in your observation, uh, if you were to look back uh, 10 years, again, you've had uh, multiple uh, finance leadership roles, and I'm wondering, uh, has the, auto, the adoption of automation technology, do you see the adoption rate accelerating within finance? And I, that's the sense I think we all have. I'm just curious. And as you look forward, how will that rate of acceleration, uh, you know, how does it compare to the last 10 years? Is it, is it that much uh, more rapid? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's just been such a uh, incredible wave of automation, starting more with the with the process oriented activities. Um, that now I th I think it feels to me more uh, about the about the uh, the value added aspect that impacts other organizations. Right? I think people appreciate not submitting expense reports on paper, sure, but what they really appreciate is the ability to say, "Here's your business. Here's how your business operates." And so I think the the wave of innovation isn't as different, but where it's where 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 it's impacting us is different. Less on the uh, less on the internal finance operations, and more on the outbound the ability of out great outbound information. Uh, yeah. So you know, early, earlier in my career, you know, I, I thought, okay, there's this big wave of innovation, and there you go, that's it. <laughs> I was a little naive. Uh, it changed. The focus of the innovation changed. I think it feels like a, you know, the waves continue to come, but their their areas of emphasis are different, and how they drive, uh, you know, our bit, you know, what we do and how we do it change in a really pleasant way. Steve Love and Brett Knowles, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader.
it's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that, 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's, that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening.